Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We hope you have been enjoying the current series and have been challenged as we look at different portraits of people who pray. This week we come to the life of Daniel. Pastor Roy will be examining Daniel's life and how he is an example for us to follow. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel and follow along with Pastor Roy. Good morning already. Praising and honoring the Lord, singing these songs of praise to Him as He is worthy of our praise. Today, as you're opening your Bible to Daniel chapter 6, I thought I would uh, begin the sermon with thinking about hearing the sermon. Uh, because many of us, I think, come to this portion of the service and maybe our hearts really aren't even ready to receive what God has for us. It is quite possible that we were so busy doing things Saturday evening that there was no real heart preparation for Sunday morning. And then we get up and we have small children and we know how it is because we've had two boys that we had to raise and of course my wife ends up being the one that had to get them ready more than I did because being on staff at a church I had to be there early in the morning and trying to get diapers changed and the dog fed and the dog runs out the door and you're chasing the dog the last thing on your mind is coming to church to worship and really focus on a message so I want to challenge you this morning because this is something we do repeatedly and so it's easy to go through the motions and we have this kind of merry-go-round experience with the Lord that never really changes anything we come in and our hearts are moved a little bit and we're stirred and our hearts are touched a little bit and we leave but nothing really changes some of you have already tuned me out you've already tuned me out and said you know I'm already thinking about what I'm gonna do this afternoon I'm thinking about what I'm gonna do this week or what happened this past week or what didn't happen this past week and you are already your heart is not open to what God wants to say to you I want to encourage you to open your ears and your mind and your heart to what God wants to say today the Bible talks about the soils of the heart and that the seed of God's Word would fall on good soil and so it is crucial when we hear a sermon that it falls on good soil that God accomplishes in us what he wants to accomplish and so as we talk about this whole area of prayer it will be possible to go through this entire series and be unmoved and unchanged and nothing changes whatsoever and I can tell you that would be one of the most depressing things in my life because I want God to move in Bethesda Church and I want him to change us and make us men and women of passionate prayer and so it is my des desire and prayer that God will speak to you and draw you into a greater desire to seek the face of God in a deeper way than you've ever known. And in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is placed in a great position of leadership. He came into captivity under Babylon, the reign of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Persia is ruling, and he's under the domination of King Darius. But nevertheless, Daniel comes into captivity as a teenager, probably around the age of 15. He's thrown into the midst of this pagan culture, 
and he's inundated and he even changed his name and they try to get him to follow the pagan way. And what does he do? He honors the Lord. He is made one of the three administrators over the 120 satraps. 120 satraps over 120 provinces or areas where these guys were in authority. And now he is placed over that. The satraps are to answer to the administrators. The administrator's role is to make sure that nobody is taking the king's money. All the tax money is turned in. All the financial dealings are fair. Everything is happening. There's a strong leadership. And there's great loyalty to the king. Daniel is placed in that position because of who he was. And so today we're going to share about three things about Daniel, a man with a practice. And here they are. He magnifies the Lord in his life. Secondly, he demonstrates loyalty to God in his service. Thirdly, he believes that God acts when he prays. Simple, straightforward, we're going to look at each one of these a little bit more in detail and unpack these three ideas. So the question is, how do we really magnify the Lord in our life? How does Daniel do that? How does Daniel take God? We know when we take a magnifying glass and we put it on something, it is to enlarge it, to make it bigger, so that it makes it more visible and easily seen. What Daniel is trying to do is make God easily seen to the pagan king and all those around him. How does he magnify God so that God is seen in his culture? That's our role too. That God would be seen in our culture. How do we magnify this God in our culture? It would be impossible to read through the book of Daniel and come to any other conclusion other than the fact that God was magnified through the life of Daniel. And boy, if there was one thing we could have placed on our tombstone, it would be that God would be magnified in our life. And so here, let me give you some ideas. He was a man of integrity. Man of integrity, not just for integrity's sake, but to magnify God's sake. Our integrity should be that God would be magnified in our life. He lived honestly and truthfully. A person who lacks integrity whenever is, happens whenever they try to manipulate people or events for their own purposes. There are a lot of people who don't get their way and they pout and they manipulate people and events to try to get their way. That is not a person of integrity. Daniel did not do that. He respected the authority that was over him. He was such a man of impeccable integrity. He never sought to manipulate an event or a purpose, an event for his own purpose. He was trustworthy, which meant he always told the truth. He did not shade the truth or bend the truth to save his own skin. He did not lie or use deceit to deceive someone. He did not fabricate a story to make himself look good. They went through his filing cabinets. If we look down through Daniel chapter 6, notice in verse 3, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. Or in some versions it says his excellent spirit. That the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But look, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They went through his filing cabinets. They rummaged through his desk. Modern day Daniel, they got out his computer and they looked at his history to see where he had been. They went back to the hotels that he had visited. Was he a man of integrity when he was alone in a hotel? What was his language like when he was away from his parents? He was a man of incredible integrity. Why? Because he was a man of passionate prayer. I don't think it's possible to live a life of integrity without a prayer life. Why? Because there's so much temptation to deceive someone, to do something wrong, to do something less than ethical. The temptation is great. To make some financial scheme, to do something. Without prayer and God protecting our hearts, we will not be people of integrity. He sought to magnify God in his life. And anyone who seeks to magnify God in his life is a person of integrity, and that person of integrity is a person of prayer. Secondly, he was filled with wisdom. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. He always seemed to know the right thing to do. And the reason why is because he was constantly seeking the face of God for his decisions. He did not act independently of the Lord. If we hold our finger in Daniel 6 and we go back to Daniel chapter 2 for a moment. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. No one can seem to interpret the dream for him. So what does Daniel do? Daniel says, I can do it. No. In verse 17 of chapter 2, Daniel returns to his house. He explains the matter to his friends, Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah, he urged them, what? To plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and then he praises God. Why? He wanted God to be magnified to this pagan king, not himself. And that should be the goal when we pray and seek the Lord is that God would be magnified. God would be bigger. God would be visual to a lost world. That's the goal of Bethesda Church. Is that God would be magnified to our lost world. People lost in Huron. God be magnified in our lives. He was filled with wisdom. Thirdly, he was a man of prayer. People who hear Daniel pray can learn about the character and attributes of God. Now, we're not supposed to launch into this big theological exercise when we pray, but I do think it's important that we do recognize the attributes of God and that people learn something about God when we pray. Notice what he says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. And he prayed that God 
if we go over to Daniel chapter 9, verse 4, we'll read a little bit about how Daniel prayed. Daniel 9, verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all those who love him and obey his commands. God, you are great and awesome. I'm going to magnify you <laughs> to these people. And so magnifying the Lord is crucial, and he was a man of prayer. He recognized that the primer that primes the pump for a spirit of praise is understanding the magnitude of the great God that we serve. We sang this morning about our great God. If we view God as puny and weak, that's the way our prayer life will be. Puny and weak prayers. If we view God as great and magnificent and awesome, our prayers will be great and magnificent before this God. Daniel recognized God as the God who rules over kings and nations. He said God is sovereign over individuals, nations, and all of history. And while Darius, while you may have conquered Babylon, and while King Nebuchadnezzar, as the king of Babylon, may have conquered Jerusalem, know that no one will conquer the kingdom of God. He is over all kings. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And his kingdom is going to rule. And notice when Jesus gets to the New Testament, what does Jesus talk about? He's bringing the kingdom of God. And there will be no king, there will be no ruler, there will be no leader who will thwart the leadership and rulership of Almighty God. He is going to rule and reign in his world. In Daniel chapter 1, God demonstrates his sovereignty by delivering Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He protects his people in captivity. Although God allows his people to be taken captive by an ungodly ruler, he nevertheless restricts how that ungodly ruler treats his people. Now let me remind us of what sovereignty means. The biblical teaching is that all things are under God's rule and control and nothing happens without his direction or permission. Nothing. In Ephesians 1.11, it says he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God continues to show his sovereignty in Daniel chapters 3 and 4 by protecting the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. God is sovereign over people and events. He protects them in the fiery furnace. In Daniel chapter 4, he shows his sovereignty by stripping Nebuchadnezzar of all of his power and glory and making him crawl and act like an animal. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? In Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 to 30, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, their houses laid in ruin, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. No other god. God was magnified. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. 
What happens in Daniel 4? After uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes back to his sanity, after acting like an animal, at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And what about his kingdom? His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. God is being magnified by showing his power over every king and every kingdom. Nothing is beyond God's power. Look at Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You know, I'm reminded of the story of the two boys. They were arguing one day over which of their dads was the greatest. One boy said, my dad's greater than your dad because my dad dug the hole for the Atlantic Ocean with a shovel. And the boy's like, ah, that's nothing. He said, my dad killed the Dead Sea. <laughs> this argument over who's the greatest, we have the opportunity to boast of the Lord that he is the great God that we serve and worship. And I think we demonstrate that by how we engage in prayer with this God of the universe. Secondly, he demonstrates loyalty to God in his service. We see this in Daniel's faithfulness to God. Look in Daniel 6, verses 16 and 17. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you what? Serve continually, rescue you. Daniel's faithfulness to God, when they could not find any grounds for corruption or a lack of integrity against him, they conspired this plan, this evil plan, to catch Daniel because they said the only way we will catch him is in regard to something against his God. If you look back in verse 5, these men said we will never find any base basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. In other words, what a testimony that they knew what his life was and what it represented. And we have to remember that Daniel was no longer a teenager at this point. At this point in his life, he's around 80 years of age. He had gone into captivity at around 15. Now he's 80 years of age and his consistent walk with God magnified God. His loyalty to God was impeccable. They could not find anything against him. So what do they do? They initiate a law that no one can pray to any other God for 30 days. Now think about that, 30 days. All he's got to do is pray in secret, stop praying altogether for 30 days. And then all will be well. He couldn't do it. In fact, he couldn't do it for a day. Prayer and his communication with God was so much important. He said, I'd rather die 
and take my chances than not pray to my God. That's how important prayer was to him. He would rather die. He had a death sentence because he knew. It says down in verse 10, he knew. He learned the decree had been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees praying, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Nothing changed. You see what happens when we are under pressure. <laughs> Nothing changes, but we could get worse depending on what's in our heart. When we are under pressure and under stress, what's inside comes out. And for Daniel, it was prayer. That's the way he lived. And that's the way he was going to die if necessary. He was not going to, to bend. I have a video I want to show you right now. And I hope you will be tuned into this. This video is, and I had never heard this story until just recently. And I have sung this song for years. And I never knew the story until just in this past week or so. And it's the story behind the little song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I want you to listen to this story. It is very moving. Go ahead and run it. Nearly 200 years ago, a revival took place in Wales, England. And as a result of this revival, many missionaries were called onto foreign mission fields. And many of these missionaries chose as their place of service to go to North India, a place that could best be described as savage. These tribes were famous for a group of men known as headhunters, who as a sign of greatness in their tribe would take the heads of their enemies and hang them on their walls. And it was into this savage tribe that these missionaries came. And obviously, they were not welcomed by these tribes. But still, they, they knew they were called by God, and so they continued to share their faith. And they finally reached out to one family who accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this man and his wife and two sons were so contagious about Jesus that they were beginning to lead other villagers and other people from their tribe to Jesus. And the tribal chief got wind of, of, of their faith. And so he called a meeting of the tribe and he, he captured this family and he brought them before the tribe. And he said to the man, he said, renounce Jesus Christ as your Savior or something bad is going to happen to you. He said, we're going to kill your children. And the man, he loved his children. He looked down at his sons and he, he loved them, but he knew that he couldn't renounce Jesus Christ. So he said the words to this famous song. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And the archers pulled back their arrows and they shot dead his two sons.
And as his sons lay there before him on the ground, dead, the tribal chief said, I'm going to give you another chance. Renounce Christ, or I'm going to kill your wife. And the man looked down at his sons, and he looked at his wife, whom he loved so much, his partner in life. But he knew what Scripture said, that he needed to acknowledge God, acknowledge Christ before men. And he said the second line to this famous song. He said, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And the archers killed his wife. two sons and his wife lying on the ground in front of him, the tribal chief came before him again and said, Renounce Christ, or this time we'll kill you. And the man, realizing that he had nothing left in this world, looked up at heaven and said the last lines to this song. He said, The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. And in anger, the tribal chief gave the order, and the archers killed the man. children and his wife dead, the chief stood before this family speechless. He couldn't believe what his eyes had just seen and he realized that through the faith of this man that this God must be real. This Jesus who this man was willing to die for must be real and on the spot the reports tell us that this chief accepted Christ as his Savior. And throughout the, the following weeks and months the rest of the tribes began to accept Christ as their Savior. All because one man and his family were willing to stand up and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Though no one goes with me, I'm still going to follow. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I see that in Daniel. Daniel is willing to be thrown into a den of lions because he decided he was going to follow God. More than anything else, Corrie ten Boom broke the law of Germany when she hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II. 
But she would have broken a higher law had she not tried to prevent the murder of innocence. Today, Christians are being called upon to make difficult ethical choices as the world becomes more and more secular and sinful. Believers will increasingly find themselves taking stands that are unpopular and positions that may even violate the law of the land. When we talk about loyalty, where is our loyalty when it comes to the worship of God, even on Sunday morning? We can sing with our lips, I have decided to follow Jesus, but where are our hearts? Worship God to magnify Him, honor Him, to be men and women of prayer, that we will come together. I look forward to corporate prayer in this church, that we come together on Wednesday evening as a corporate body to seek the face of God. And if we haven't learned yet that our world has changed drastically and the only, th the only thing we can do is begin to cry out to God, we've got to do that more passionately than ever. I'm convinced of that. Nothing is going to change this world but the power of prayer. We are very need-driven in our lives. Our schedule is need-driven. When our car runs low on gas, we need to go to the gas station. When our cupboards get low in groceries, we need to go to the grocery store. When I come home all grubby and dirty from work, I need to get to the shower. We're need-driven. But if our lives are running reasonably well, we really don't need God's involvement that much. We've got money coming in, the bills are paid, the electric is on, we've got people sitting in the pews, I've got a decent paycheck, life is good. I don't really need God in a deeper way. God help us. David the psalmist cried out, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Daniel's practice in the face of opposition did not go unnoticed. He never wavered in his commitment to pray. He never said, well, I'll just stop for these 30 days and then I'll reconnect with you, God. I hope that you don't get with your friends and say, well... I'll talk like my friends, I'll use the jokes they use and language they use and those things they use and then I'll reconnect with you, God. That you'll be a Daniel. That you'll stand up. That you won't bow to peer pressure. That you'll be a man of courage, a man of prayer. A man who wants to make a difference in his culture. You will not trade your loyalty to God for something else. Say, no, I'm not willing to trade my loyalty to God for this group or this thing this group wants me to do. My loyalty is to God. God has designed me for only one loyalty. Must have went back the wrong way here. Look at this quote on prayer, E.M. Bounds. Prayer ought to enter into the spiritual habits, but it ceases to be prayer when it is carried on by habit only. 
Desire gives fervor to prayer. The soul cannot be listless when some great desire fixes and inflames it. Strong desire makes strong prayers. The neglect of prayer is the fearful token of dead spiritual desires. The soul has turned away from God when desire after him no longer presses it into the closet. There can be no true praying without desire. Comes out of Jim Cimbala's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. God has designed us so that we only have room for one loyalty in our heart. One. And it needs to be him. God allows events in Daniel's life to be orchestrated in such a way to test his loyalty to him. And I can tell you, when things come up in our culture that pull us away from worship on Sunday morning, do you know what that really is? It's not the sport. That's the issue. It's a test of loyalty. It's a test to say, what is first in my life? What is the priority? Is God all? I say he is. It's a test of loyalty. Every time we're faced with a temptation, it is a test of loyalty. If I cave into the temptation, or if I overcome it, it is a test of my loyalty to God. You see, they wanted to catch Daniel breaking the law so they would make him guilty of treason and therefore allow him to be slain. He believes that God acts when he prays. Daniel didn't just hope that God would hear his prayers. He knew that God heard his prayers. Why? Because God hears the prayers of the righteous. Always. Let me give you a couple of verses. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Now I have, and I know you have, prayed at times where you do not feel like your prayer gets much higher than your head. I have prayed that way numerous times and felt that way. I don't think it's wrong necessarily to feel that way at times. I think it's human. But I think we have to work through that and say, God, deliver me from that kind of thinking, that shallow thinking, and refocus my attention back on the God that you say that you are and that you will do what you said you will do and to believe him that he will work. Psalm 34, 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord hears and delivers. What a great encouragement. Daniel was a man of deep conviction. His deep conviction was he was not a secret service Christian. He was a person who had a regular practice of prayer, and that regular practice of prayer put him in a place of deep conviction. He focused on God, his word, and his will, and he would not compromise his faith with his life on the line. He would not defile himself with the king's meat, if we go back to Daniel chapter 1, because he was afraid that meat would have been sacrificed to idols, and he would not eat the king's meat, because he knew the Jewish laws, according to Deuteronomy 14, that he could not do that. Daniel and his three friends had a deep conviction and would not partake of the king's table. They wanted to be faithful to God. The burning question was how can a Jew live in a foreign land with foreign food and pagan customs and stay faithful to God? 
How many times do you see a person's convictions change based on who is present? Or their language change based on who is present? A person who does not have a regular practice of prayer would be a person characterized as a person with shallow convictions. Daniel's visions are focused on nations, earthly kingdoms, and superpowers, and he is pointing toward the kingdom of God to magnify God in his life. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I would also ask you, what is God saying to you this morning? Is your heart's passion to magnify God in your life? And how are you doing that? Are you a person of integrity in every area of your life? If someone was to come behind you and check where you've been on your phone and the internet and the hotels you've been in, the movies you've watched, the language you've used, your financial affairs, are you a person of integrity? Are you a man of wisdom? Are you a man of prayer? Where is your loyalty? Is it just lip service loyalty? Oh yes, God, I love you, you know that. But you know what, I've got this thing on Sunday morning that just This is the priority right now. You're a priority, but not quite as high as this one. Um, Loyalty to God. There's only room for one loyalty. And do I really believe that God acts on my prayer? Am I that kind of person? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And what I mean by that, you have become conscious of the fact that you are a sinner before God. You know you have violated His law, you know you are guilty, you know you deserve eternal wrath and judgment, and you have done nothing about it. And so that if your heart was to stop beating and you were to stop breathing, you would be in eternity in hell. That's what the Bible says. There is no forgiveness of sins other than the fact that Jesus paid it all on the cross. He died for you. He died for the sins of the world. If you don't know Jesus personally, I would encourage you to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Young people, maybe you're in a Christian home. Just because you're in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. Or maybe the dads and moms who grew up in Christian homes doesn't make you a Christian either. We all have to personally accept Jesus Christ into our life. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, would you invite him into your life today? If the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you, and I know he is because we have had several people in our church praying for the lost for months and we will continue 
until you come to Christ? Would you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and you have gotten off track spiritually. You have made commitments in the past, but now you find yourself again drifting away from the Lord. And it's time to renew your commitment to Christ. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.